With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the very latest edition of the Selby is Godcast. I am TJ Zuppi. He is Zach Meisel. We both write about the Cleveland Indians for the Athletic Cleveland, and neither of us has gotten traded yet. I stress the yet part of that because I'm not really sure what's going to happen over the next several weeks, and I think that's pretty much extended to the baseball team that I'm, I'm trying to get a grasp on what is going to happen over the next few weeks that I don't think I really know yet, Zach. I, I'm kind of like struggling to figure out how much traction different things have right now. And I think it's been, uh, it's been an interesting one to try to swallow, I think, over the past week or so. I want mass chaos. Raise hell. Trade everybody. Kluber, smell ya. Carrasco, get out of here. Let's go. Niedermeyer, just dead. Flip this roster upside down and let's just see what happens. You know, I know you're joking, at least a little bit. But there's, yeah, but there's, there's like a little scent. There's like a little nugget of truth somewhere in there. I feel like that. I don't know if it's. It would be the worst thing in the world for this roster to have some sort of, of shakeup because I don't, I don't think status quo is going to work, and I don't think just going into next year with pretty much the same group you had in place subtracted uh, the free agents that. Are, are going out the door and Brantley Allen and Miller, and then trying to fix holes with, with minor league free agents and hoping you could do it internally. I, I, I mean, would that win the division? Probably. Would that succeed in the playoffs? Now you're getting back to random variation and hoping that your pitchers perform, you know, as the more I think about some of the rumors that have been kicked around and, you know, if anyone's been living under a rock for the, the past few weeks, you know, there's, there's some at least small smoke to the Kluber, Carrasco, and then, of course, Kipnis, Encarnacion, Alonzo, Gomes, rumors that they're at least listening out there. And I, I know you you wrote it as we're discussing this in our Diamond Dialogue this week. This does feel like it has at least a little bit of traction. Does it not? Yeah, I mean, it definitely does. But it, but it – that doesn't mean – doesn't mean anything. I mean, it, it's, I feel like we need to clarify a few things. Um, and it's like, we, I wish we didn't have to say this, but we have to say this because we've gotten certain just re- responses from fans where number one, this has nothing to, this is not at all like the trades of CC Sabathia and Cliff Lee. This is not a white flag. This is not trading your top pitchers for prospects and hoping to be good again in a couple of years. This is nothing at all resembling that. So I think that needs to just be tossed out. Like that's forget it. I think the way, and I know you hear, Oh, they're trying to trade their best pitcher and you hear the teams that are involved and you hear the Yankees. And it's like, you immediately think like, well, this is, this is it. This is doom. And it's, 
It's actually the opposite. This is actually the Indians saying we need to get better. And the way to do that is to trade an aging, still a really, really good Cy Young finalist pitcher. But he's getting older. There are some signs of wear and tear. He he might go out and win the Cy Young next year, but that's besides the point. The point is you have no money. You know, whether it's fair or not, we can debate payroll until we're blue in the face. We can debate ownership another day um, because plenty of people can do that for us too. But they're not going to spend more than $150 million. They're not going to raise their payroll. So there's, you, you can argue it, you can complain about it and that's fine. You have the right to, but, we're not going to do that here because there's no point. Like we, we just know the payroll is not going to increase. So, and Chris Antonetti is not just going to sit in his office and sulk because of that. He's got to go out and find a way to round out this roster, to fill their holes without having a lot of cash sitting on his desk. And so the way to do that is to take that pitcher who's going to be 33 years old in April, who's making 17 million this year and the year or in 2019, 2020, 2021, and to use that as a way to, A, get really talented players in return, because they're not just going to dump him to the, the highest offer. They're going to dump him to an offer that absolutely blows them away. And I'm speaking here as if this is going to happen when the odds are probably lower than 50%. So, um, but that, and also then you save the $17 million, which allows you to go fill out what other needs you have via free agency. So it, it benefits you in multiple ways. And like, let's face it. Yeah. The rotation is super strong, but the rest of your roster is so weak that you didn't win a playoff game. So you have to improve the offense. You have to improve the bullpen. And the way to do that is to deal from your strength. And so I think it makes sense. They've gotten offers in the past couple of years for Carrasco and for Danny Salazar. uh, And it just never made enough sense for them to pull the trigger. Well, now there's a little more desperation. And so I think they're going to sit back and entertain whatever offers come their way. And maybe something will happen. Maybe it won't. Well, I mean, you have to admit it feels really weird, right? Like, doesn't it feel weird to, for a team that has world series aspirations to be considering trading their ACE, the guy that um, is up there, certainly top five best pitchers in franchise history. Um, And if he sticks around, maybe even elevates himself even higher. Um, a two-time Cy Young Award winner, a finalist, you said, this year. To trade a guy like that, Corey Kluber's don't just grow on trees, especially peak value Corey Kluber does not grow on trees. But the downside is, as you said, you don't – or maybe you have some sense that the, the we're on the back end of that peak, that he's – that we're, we're not going to see – the Kluber that we have in the past scene over the past few years. So you're still going to get a really good version of it, but not quite best pitcher in the world, Corey Kluber. And if you could still trade him when he has still some sense of that aura about him, I, I think it can make sense, but it all comes back to the return. And I'm, I'm still skeptical that a team is going to be willing to pay the sky high value that they're going to place on Kluber. And as you said, they, they don't need to do it. It's not as if they're up against it and the contract is ending and the clock is ticking. No, if you don't see what you like, you hang up the phone or you close the door and you leave the hotel room. You do whatever you got to do. The discussion is over. So from that standpoint, it's beneficial. You know, it would be nice if you could just 
forget about trading Corey Kluber, forget about trading Carlos Carrasco and try to work out a deal for, for Jason Kipnis or to try to work out a deal for Edwin Encarnacion, who was mostly fine last year, but you know, showing signs of being an aging slugger. If you, and, and that's, if you, yeah, if you could do that, top. if you could do that, right. then that's great. But I mean, do you see those situations just presenting themselves easily? I, I, I don't think I do. No, I mean, the other part of this is I think if they moved someone like Kluber, they would do everything in their power to try to attach Kipnis in that deal as well. Um, and I, I don't think that would be too much of a hang-up because Kipnis only has one year left. Uh, Encarnacion's almost twice as expensive, so I don't know if that'll work. But I mean, I understand that idea, Zach, but anything that dulls my return – I'm not into it unless unless I, I unless I 100 100 percent or really close to 100 percent know that I am using that money to get some difference makers in here for next year. You know, moving that salary is beneficial, but I don't want to do it to the extent that it's going to give me it's going to severely knock down what I'm getting in return. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I give the front office some credit for saying, hey, we don't want to we know we can win the division as is next year. And maybe we get hot at the right time and make things happen, but we don't want to go into next year with that hope. So I give them credit for wanting to change things up, wanting to find creative ways to get better when it's tough. They've kind of maxed out their financial resources and they don't have immediate talent at AAA to help them right now. They don't have, uh, they don't have a lot of obvious candidates who they can trade. I mean, that's why it's some people say, oh, it's crazy that we're talking about Kluber. But it's like, well, you don't want to move Clevenger, who's making the minimum and has, I think, another year of that. 19, 2019 and 2020, maybe he'll, be, he'll make the minimum. And then Bieber, who's you, you've got under control for at least the next six years. You know, Carrasco and Bauer, even after Bauer makes whatever he makes in arbitration this year, they're both going to be criminally underpaid where it's like, you know, there aren't a ton of options here. So that's why we're talking about Kluber. It's, it's, they're in such a weird spot. But I, I think another thing that gets lost is, you know, you, you start to get good. Like, TJ, when you, when you and I were talking recently, you, you brought up the Brewers. And it's like, you know, they're, they burst onto the scene this year. They nearly made the World Series. They seem like they're a pretty young team. And you just assume, kind of like we did with the Indians in 2016, it's like, oh, they'll have like, five years of just this contention window where they'll hope to make the world series every year. And it's like, yeah, like that's the hope, but it's never just this flat peak. It's always, you always have ups and downs within that. And you have to make decisions along the way that determine whether that three-year window becomes a six-year window or whether it's just three. And then you shut it down for a couple of years and come back with, with some new players. So I think this is where the Indians are right now. And it's, like the window's open for another couple of years, but how how legitimate their chances are in 2019, 2020, and how how they look just as an organization beyond that, I think it all hinges on this this winter. I also think the window op- remains open for as long as you conceivably want it to, if you're willing to make some tough choices along the way. I think we talked about this over the winter, yeah. uh, last winter, where you know if you want to move some veteran pieces now you could do that and probably extend the window as far as, as you, you kind of want to, if you're always being proactive, 
you can, I guess you could just kind of make that window talk fallacy. You know, it's, it's just, you know, it's, you just do what you can and try to make yourself a good team, but also be proactive and think analytically about these things. You know, it, it seems ridiculous to even talk about trading a Corey Kluber because, you know, you're thinking, I don't know, kind of with your heart, I guess, you know, this is a guy that's done what he's done over the past few years is etched his name into franchise history and was helping them almost win a world series a few years ago has, has the hardware. I mean, all of that, it's tough to give up on a guy like that, but if you just strip all that away and say, here's a guy that now you have maybe some, some concerns about uh, he's getting a little bit older. He's nearing, you know, the, I don't know if there's ever, I don't think there will be a cliff for him. I think it'll be as a steady decline over his career. And as a guy, you know, is going to work his ass off and um, is so regimented is always going to be, you know, keeping him doing everything in his power to keep himself as good as he can be. And, and I think we all sort of know that that's the case, but if he's in decline at all, if he is losing a little bit off, you know, strikeouts, the strikeouts are down, the swing and miss is down. Um, he's going to probably have to, over the next few years, develop into a little bit of a different pitcher than he was even the past few years. You know, if there's any sense stripping all of the other stuff away, that you can capitalize now on the back end of him still having that peak ace level value, then you probably would do it. I mean, if you just, if, if if it, you're just talking about player A and player B and player C and D, and you weren't thinking so much about all the particulars of this situation, you probably would say the smarter thing to do would be to try to get some young talent for him now while you still could. It just feels really weird to say those things when you're trying to win a World Series right now. And he's still, he's still a Cy Young finalist and a guy that is still competing for that that mantra of being one of the best pitchers in baseball. Yeah, but the playoffs, though. True, true. And if there's anything this year taught us, it's that, you know, narratives can't ever be changed. David Price. I think it's critical to ignore past numbers. And I know that's impossible for fans and for us to do because it's all we can see. It's, it's how we base things on because we aren't out at some AAA field scouting the Indians' next all-star outfielder. But you have to think about it in terms of, yeah, Kluber's been a Cy Young finalist for the last five years. He's one of the best pitchers in baseball. But what's he going to be the next three years? You know, how much value are you going to get while you're paying him, I think, like $52 million at least? Um, as opposed to, I mean, I, I don't know. I think the hard part for people to swallow is, is who you're going to have to dance with. And, and this is why I said from the get-go, like, yeah, they're listening, but this is going to be very challenging to pull off because the only teams who are going to want a Kluber or a Carrasco are teams in contention right now. I mean, Carrasco only has two years left. So there are teams like the Cincinnati Reds who want to take that next step toward contention and they need starting pitching, but they're not going to empty the farm for a guy signed for two years. So I think like the Braves and the Dodgers and the Yankees make sense. Even the Astros would make sense. They're losing three starting pitchers. Uh, but I think because of that, it makes one, it makes it tricky Two, there are natural fits. Like the Yankees have so much talent that the Indians could use in their outfield 
Gliber Torres or Miguel Andujar in their bullpen, especially. I mean, guys that would be perfect fits. And it makes it like that's what has changed my mind is that at the beginning of the offseason, I thought this was preposterous. I thought, you know, they'll be able to dump Kipnis and use that money to fill their holes. And I, I just we kind of talked about it last time where it was like maybe they'll just have better like feng shui like it'll just <laughs> it'll just like feel better like uh, this year just we we said it over and over it just seemed off for some reason yeah. and maybe next year that won't happen uh but if you can't clear the money to fill what you need and maybe even if you can i think this makes sense because you can get younger and cheaper and more efficient and cheaper is not a bad thing in this case because they're they're not trying to just get the payroll from 150 to 120 they just need that cash to go fill the the extra spots because we saw last year they stood pat with the bullpen and that blew up in their face. So I think if they have 10 million to spend this year, they'll go get that Hector Rondone or Joe Smith or whoever. And so I, I, I think the more I think about it and not only that, but like if the Indians are in the ALDS and, and assuming these guys take another step or stay as is, like Bauer, Clevenger, Carrasco, and Bieber is just as formidable as almost anybody else. So it's, yeah, having Kluver too is, is quite the luxury. But like, if you have a good bullpen, then you don't, you know, you're wasting Clevenger by putting him in the bullpen or, or someone like that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they have, you don't need five dominant starters in today's game. So. And it's interesting. I think, that, it, I think it's interesting too. I mean, where would you put Justice Sheffield in that rotation? I mean, if we're all setting this up in this perfect little scenario, you know, where where does Justice Sheffield fit? Because he's but obviously like, going to be in this trade that you're no, just going to pull I, off. I think the other the other part of this is like, let's say they made a deal with the Yankees and Justice Sheffield was included. Okay, well he's he's on your in your rotation next year, and mm-hmm. he it's his rookie year, and he works out the kinks, and then the year after, you know, he he takes another step. And then remember, Carrasco and Bauer only have two years left. So that's when, all right, if you traded for a young pitcher and you have Tristan McKenzie coming up, you could still have a dominant rotation through like 2027. Like there's, <laughs> there is potential. I know everyone thinks this, this window is shut or it's shutting tomorrow. And like, if they make the right moves, you can extend this thing out. I was, I was talking to someone in another front office who said, and, and Antonetti and Chernoff have repeated this too, like teams don't think in terms of windows they think in terms of process of decision making and if you make the right decisions at the critical times you'll extend you'll have that window open as long as you want it like like it's there are ways to do this where you can survive when francisco lindor signs for 400 million with the red sox in 2022 like it's it's possible to have life beyond the guys currently in the organization. I just think sometimes it's, it's difficult to see that or to pound it into people's heads. And you can look at this division and the white Sox have looked like, you know, a team that has put together a lot of young talent. You've seen some of that in the major league level. Some of it hasn't really shown or, or shined yet at the major league level, the tigers are into this rebuild and who knows how long that's going to take the twins are always just kind of teetering somewhere in the 80 win range. And maybe, maybe they get better this, this off season. And I still, you know, the guys running the organization, I, I have a lot of faith in. So I think they're, they're capable of being a good team. But I mean, as you look through the division, 
Like, who's to say that the the window? I hate I hate using it. I know we use it Doxing all the time. Doxing window. But who's to say like it has to end just based on your team? And what if what if everybody else is still stuck in this rebuild and they they haven't emerged out of it yet? Yeah, you know? I mean, there is no other team in the division that's proven they're going to threaten at any time. Right. I, I mean, mean you, just, you just can't assume that it's going to happen. And it could happen. It could very well happen. It happened for the Indians. And it, it seemingly does happen for teams. It's very cyclical as this runs through. But still. But that's only half the equation. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, we've seen it. And I know October can be random sometimes. But sometimes it's not. I mean, the team that won 108 games this year won the World Series. That's, that's not a fluke. They were the best team from April 1st. And so. Well, it's because they didn't care about launch angle. Yeah, oh. or it's because they were stealing. They were stealing signs better than, or the no, no, they were stopping the other team from stealing right, signs right, right, better right. than the other team was stopping them from stealing signs. But but that's you know the division's half the equation. Like, how can you look at this roster, go into next year, and say, you know they've, I like their chances against Boston, New York, and Houston. Yeah, like it's gosh. especially once New York signs Machado and Harper and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah everyone has been linked guess what everyone has some level of interest in those players and that's the other thing too though but like the yankees could trade the indians glaber torres and then go sign manny machado who is like glaber torres's ceiling so it makes it makes a lot of sense i don't know i apologize to all the athletic subscribers who asked me about it and i scoffed at them like there's no way they'll trade kluber because it makes a lot more sense to me now than it did a month ago. Well, yeah, I think it helps as you kind of learn who is actually serious about it. I mean, the, the fact that it is the Yankees, like it leaves a, a bad taste in your mouth because you know they're trying – they're your direct competition right now to try to win a championship. Uh, but because they line up with the talent that they have, that's where it makes sense. It's difficult or more difficult or was more difficult to imagine when it just was tossed out there initially and it – you know I. You know, the the way that it was phrased and right off the bat, it made it look like, God, the Indians are selling and they're raising. Yeah, the context flag. is critical. Um, and also without having any teams linked to it at the time, now you're playing a really difficult hypothetical game. I mean, hell, we're doing that now. But I mean, it was really difficult when it's like, OK, who are those teams? Uh, the Padres have been there's reports of them looking for an ace. The Brewers could probably use some, but I mean, you're now you're talking hypotheticals to the one millionth degree. Now that you have some, like some level of interest being shown by an actual team that does make sense, that's where you can kind of start to put the pieces in place. So I, I, I think it all comes back to the way I started this is that I, I am, I'm with you. I would completely respect. And I, I do respect them for looking into it now, but I would respect them more for pulling the trigger on a trade like this because it would take a hell of a lot of, no other way to say it, balls to do it be, because of the PR backlash that it's going to initially send uh, your direction. But you can't, from a front office standpoint, you can't care about that. You can't think, oh, well, what are our fans going to think of this? If you think, if, if at the end of the day, you think it makes you better, then you do it. And it doesn't matter what people think of the decision. You just go do it because you've put in the homework and it's your job on the line. If you and I are wrong about this stuff, well, the world keeps spinning and we still keep writing about it and people probably make fun of us for it, but that's, that's it. And if the fans are wrong, 
nothing happens. Then they delete their tweets and pretend it never happened. If the front office is wrong about these things, they end up fired <laughs> or they end up looking for a different job. So, well, not in Cleveland because you keep your job for life here if, if you're yeah. with the Indians. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, but they're the ones that have some skin in the game here. You know, they, their job is on the, the line here. Their reputation is on the line uh, for the moves that they, they're going to make. So you shouldn't, you shouldn't not make a move because you're concerned of how it's going to be interpreted. If you believe it's the right move, then you should go do it. Absolutely. And I would have a lot of respect if they pulled the trigger on a move like this, you know, based on, you know, we just have to see what the return is. I don't know what it would be at this point, but I, if they're going to pull the trigger, it's going to be something very healthy in their favor. And the other thing is, I, I, I just don't think you can go into this season just fixing the holes the way that they did last offseason. I don't think you can do it. You're, you'll have another year older Edwin Encarnacion. You'll have Jason Kipnis coming off of back-to-back down years. So some of the ex- hope and excitement that you have that maybe they're going to be big offensive forces for you are even less than what they were last year. Now you don't have Cody Allen and Andrew Miller. You acquired hand, and okay, that's okay. But, I mean, looking at this entire picture, you can't go into the next next year just hoping that it's going to be better. Because it, I don't think there's a scenario out there where it is going to be better just relying on the status quo. So shaking things up, I don't have a problem with it. It's all going to come back to the return, though. It, it always will. And that's going to be for, for any move that they make, but especially in a move like this. You're not going to care if they give up Kluber if you get back three really, 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 really good pieces. Or maybe, maybe even better. And you clear the room and you go out and get some free agents. At that point, then you'll be just as excited as you were before, if not more so. And remember, these teams have a baseline here because the Andrew Miller trade, like the Yankees got two top, top prospects and two other relievers who had really good minor league track records. Um, they've battled some injuries since. So, but like Sheffield will probably be part of the rotation if they still have him. And Clint Frazier was on track. He's blocked now. I don't, I don't know what they're going to do with him, but he, when he was healthy last year, I think he only played like 50-some games because yeah. he had that, those concussion issues. But his numbers at AAA were monstrous. And he was – I mean, he was the fifth pick in the draft. Like, So I think about that, and I'm like, if the Indians had to give that up to the Yankees for, for Miller, like the Yankees would probably give you a decent decent package for, for Kluber. But and the other, I just thing, think the other thing – go ahead, go ahead. I'm just – they have so much young depth. It's like – like, the Yankees don't need Machado. They don't need Harper. They don't need anyone. They're going to be really good for a long time just with the way they've developed young talent and some of the trades they've made over the last four or five years. But because of that also, they're in position where they can go get a Kluber. And yep. so just give the Indians Torres plus Frazier plus Sheffield plus Batances plus Jack Green. <laughs> yes. And Esteban Florial, the top. <laughs> just keep adding it to the list, man. Just keep adding it to the list. You know, the other thing is, too – and we haven't talked about this, but look at the free agent market for starting pitchers right now. Who are the top guys? Nathan Evaldi, Jay Happ, Corbin. I mean, what? I mean, that then those guys are going to probably command some decent salaries because they are the best that's out there. And anybody that wants to improve their pitching, their starting pitching is going to have to rely on some names that really aren't in, in different markets would, would not be best of the best top tier guys 
Now, I know the game is changing a little bit, and maybe some of the emphasis off starting pitching is, is going to happen. Teams are going to rely more on bullpens over the next few years. Yeah, I, I get all of that. But still, if you have Kluber and Carrasco and you're willing to listen, immediately they vault to the top of the line, the, the top of the heap of guys that are most talented that could be had this offseason. And because you've done that, and then you have those teams out there that are willing to bid on your starting pitching, um, I think that automatically puts you in a pretty good place. So that's, that's where I also understand why they're going to listen and why I think they should listen because of the situation of the market right now. And knowing that you're not, you can't go out there and spend a lot of money on uh, a Kluber type pitcher because he's not available in free agency. And it's also why, you know, for anyone that wants to just trade Jason Kipnis again, yes, I'm sure they would love to just move that money and be able to create some flexibility that way. But there are like five billion free agent second basemen out there this year. So is someone going to pay you or, or pay Kipnis's salary over the next two years or at least the buyout for next year? Or are they going to spend less to go get a free agent second baseman who probably is going to give you the same level of production for probably less money just because of the dearth of second basemen that are out there? And I think that plays into it, too, when you're talking about making these sorts of decisions. Uh, quickly, would you – is Yandy Diaz your opening day third baseman? Yes. Okay, so Ramirez at second. So that – and Leonis Martin, I guess, in center. That yeah, leaves I mean, you with left field, right field, bullpen, right? Right. I mean, as it's constructed now, yes. So essentially, if you could just fill those holes in a trade, then you'd have money left over to add more to the bullpen, add a – another outfield bat, a bench guy, something like that. And yeah, then you're sitting pretty. And I don't, maybe they can backload deals a bit. And Carnacion comes off the books next year. Well, that's the other thing is they save a lot of money the next couple of years. Like I know arbitration is going to be brutal with Bauer and Lindor. Right. But other than that, like they, they have a bunch of like just Encarnacion and, and Kipnis themselves is like 36 million off the books yeah no that's that's big i mean and carrasco goes up next year a teeny bit uh but i mean i i think that there's there are ways that they could backload deals if they create the, the flexibility now it's just really difficult i mean to to wrap my brain around it as this has played out has been really challenging i can't even imagine putting myself in the position of the front office now because you know i've I feel it, and all we have to do is talk about it and write about it, and that's it. <laughs> like, I can't imagine the manpower and the number of hours that get put in to trying to make decisions like this. Um, because, you know, if, if we're struggling with it, um, and maybe me to a little bit more of an extent than you are at the moment, I can't even imagine what Antonetti and Chernoff and the rest of those guys are debating right now and trying to figure out right now well i do this in hbd all the time so i'm <laughs> i'm used to it um i'm just waiting for their call for their call to have me give them advice <laughs> on what to do uh no but this is this is fun this is where you you can make i think about what the indians got for bartolo cologne and that was so different because that was three prospects and Lee Stevens' corpse. 
Um, Is he the random Indian of the day? <laughs> no, I've got a fun little game for you, actually. But but you have – I mean, that was also – Cologne had like a year and a half left, I think. Kluber's got three. So yeah. you, you, you have – if you find a team – maybe it's not the Yankees, but if you find a team desperate for an ace, like Atlanta – there are other teams out there, but you can really, really swindle someone and lay the foundation for this thing to last a lot longer than you fans ever thought it could. Or you could have Kluber in pinstripes starting the all-star game in your ballpark on July 9th. (laughs) Oh, worlds. And and of course he'll put to rest any of those playoff demons that uh, have been tied to him over his last few starts. That's a hilarious little storyline with this is all the people who on October 6th said trade Kluber, dump him. He's terrible. He can't pitch in the playoffs who are now saying, what are you doing? How could you trade Kluber? <laughs> well, if you remember last year, the entire crux of the offseason was how in the hell could they pick up Michael Brantley's option? What in yeah. the sh- are they thinking? And then they don't extend the qualifying offer, which does not stop them from signing him again, by the way. It's just no qualifying offer. And the Indians were idiots once again. So last year, mad because Brantley got paid. And I think some for good reason. But also this year, mad because Brantley didn't get paid, or at least potentially paid. It's... Yeah, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Everyone's pissed. Right. right. It is really, you know, we talked about this. It is really, really hard to win a World Series. Like it is ridiculously hard to win a World Series. Look at the like the runners up the last three years. The Indians in 2016, um, really good team. Obviously, that had some injuries, but uh, Andrew Miller was pitching like no one could ever believe. Corey Kluber was out of his mind until Game Seven of the world series. I mean, that was a really good team. You had two Dodgers teams that go to the world series and get beat and look how good that Dodgers team is. Look at some of the teams that haven't made it to the world series. Look at the nationals over the the past few years. Hell you look at the, a couple of world series winners here recently, the Cubs who are now, you know, they're winning like 95 games a season, but it's they're, they're in complete disarray because, you know, no one knows what direction they're headed and they're, they're up against it financially. So if the Indians somehow find a way to squeak out that World Series in 2016, now what are the Cubs feeling as like this, just this belief that it was going to be this decade long run of dominance is somehow not feeling that way anymore. Or they were used to that though, too. I mean, it had been 108 years. Yeah. Well, and and then the, the Astros, bet on Justin Verlander and that ended up working out beautifully for them. They won a world series, but that had a high likelihood of blowing up in their face. And if they don't win a world series and then they struggle this year and now their rotation is all being shaken up and you know, it's, it's, it's very, it's funny how quickly this all can change. And it, I think you kind of alluded to it. You know, you just kind of believe that this is going to last a really long time. And Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it, you get like two, three good shots of this, and then that's it. And if you didn't, if, if it didn't work out in your favor, sorry about it. Try again next time. The Cubs are a great example of that because when they won in 2016, that team was still so young. I mean, I think back to 
Bryant and uh, Russell and Baez and Rizzo and Contreras was just didn't coming it, on. Did, the I scene. mean, didn't it think they had the making look like they were going to be good for eight years? Thought they'd have a dynasty, yeah. But and now, now they're at a point where they're kind of like the Indians, where like they don't want to take on too much more salary, and they've got some contracts on there that look ugly now, and they've got guys who are coming up on free agents. I mean, they, yeah, they're kind of in a mess. And you have to strike when you get that chance. And we've said it. It's like as you get further and further removed from 2016, you mm. start to wonder more and more if that was going to be if that was the Indians' best shot. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it might end up being that. But also, I mean, I laugh when people say, oh, well, they should have just won in 2016. Yeah, yeah. I, do you, they tried. Do, do you think they wanted to? <laughs> I think they really wanted to. It's not as if they said, oh, well, you know – you know, we, we went down, we lost. Oh, well. I mean, yeah, they really would have loved to have won in 2016. No kidding. How about we play a little random Indian of the day game? Okay, so speaking of teams that uh, the window ran out on them, I guess. The 2018 Indians had eight or 2018 Indians had 27 different pitchers appear in a game. That includes Brandon Geyer. The 2000 Indians, first of all, do you know, can you guess how many pitchers they had at the end of the game? Uh, what was last year? 27. Uh, 34. Okay, 32. Wow. I want to know how many of the 32 you can name. Oh, God, 2000? Yeah. Uh, probably none. I think if you can get to 20, that's extremely impressive. Uh, Charles Nagy, is he still around in 2000? Yeah, there's one. Jarrett Wright? There's two. Dwight Gooden? Was he 99? Dwight Gooden was 99. Okay. Uh, Chuck Finley? Yep, he was. Their innings leader, 218 innings. Mark, I guess Lang- he was their ace. Mark Langston. Mark Langston, no, he, 99 was his uh, last year with the Indians. Uh, Bartolo Colon. There you go. He was their number three starter. Dave Burba. Yep, he was their number two starter. What a rotation. Oh, man. Uh, Steve Woodard. <laughs> yes, yeah, so they acquired Steve Woodard that year. Uh, Bob Wickman. They acquired Bob Wickman in the same trade. Steve Carsey. Steve Carsey was their closer, 20 saves, before Wickman came aboard. All righty. 2000. Who the hell was in that bullpen? There are so many random names. Um, 2000. Without writing these down in front of me, I'm—I don't know. This is this is really difficult. I was not at, prepared for this. You're at eight so far. If you can get, come on, if you can get to ten. I keep thinking of guys that were on the '99 versions. Um, Two thousand. No, that was. Uh, I need a lifeline here. All right. One was a recent coach on the Indians major league staff. 
recent coach in the major league staff. Uh, oh, Jason Bray. Yeah, he was in. Yes, that. nice six sixty three ERA for him. <laughs> he was in that that trade uh, with Woodard and Wickman. Uh, like God, it's they, crazy. They, they were so three... desperate for starting pit or really any pitching that year. They only had three pitchers that year who topped eighty innings. Wow. 2000. Uh, you can get some more. There's some familiar faces in that bullpen. Jim Poole. No. That was like the only year he wasn't with them. <laughs> I feel like he's always the answer. Whenever I don't know, it's Think Jim Poole. Think of some lefties. That's what I was trying to go through, and that's why I said Langston, but I was wrong. Uh, Aaron Laffey. Oh, what? <laughs> I can't think of any lefties. I keep blanking on like Billy Traber and who is who's like the Indians, not Austin Mocker, but the other lefty who, when you think of the, that era, they probably gave up way too much to get him. Uh, Ricky Rincon. Yeah. Uh, pro- wait, did you say probably gave up way too much? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> All right. Uh, I don't know. I I don't think I can go any farther. I really don't. All right. You got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You got ten. Ready for this? <laughs> What's amazing is Carse was their closer. He ranked fourth on the team in innings. That tells you all you need to know. Jim Brower made eleven stars. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> They were looking so hard to find a number four and five starters that Brower had a 624 ERA, Beret 663, and Nagy made 11 starts with an 821. Oh, yikes. Uh, the bullpen, Shuey, Justin Spire. Oh, Steve Justin Bruce. Spire. Oh, yeah. Steve Reed. Um, the other lefty was Tom Martin. Is Sean DePaula still a part of this team? Sean DePaula, thirteen appearances. And then we get we get to the bottom here of this just this list of like what are they doing now? I would love to know. Jamie Brewington, Scott Kamenicki, something called a Brian Williams. <laughs> Paul Rigdon, Bobby Witt, Jamie Navarro, Kane Davis. Ah, oh, Kane Davis. How did I miss that one? Cameron Cairncross, Andrew Lorraine, Tim Drew, Chris Nickting, Mark Watson. What? <laughs> what? You are you are just randomly selecting two names and putting them together. There's four more: Willie Martinez, Alan Newman, Mike Moeller, and Chris Haney. Chris Haney. That's another one I should have gotten. Thirty-two pitchers, and no Jason Hockamy. Unbelievable. Willie Martinez. He was 22 years old. I think he was like a pretty well-regarded prospect at the time. Made one appearance, and that was his only appearance ever. All right. 
Well, that was a hell of a year. Do you think we'll look back more fondly on the 2000 pitching staff or the 2018 pitching staff someday with the random names? Can you imagine Cody Allen having ranked fourth on the Indians in innings last year? <laughs> Didn't Carse make a start, at least one start that year? No. No? Maybe it was the next year. 72 outings, 76 innings. What's crazy is the Indians were just ahead of the time because they were they had Finley, Burba, and Cologne, and then they just went with openers the other two days. It just you didn't think of them as openers because they were just getting shelled in the first inning. <laughs> it wasn't by design that they were leaving after three outs. Oh man, uh, I need a stiff drink after listening to that, or at least a cigarette or something. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, um, Podbean, a few different places, Anchor. If you just search us anywhere, Selby's Godcast, you will find us. Also, I do want to make a point to say anybody that uh, sends us a note, uh, whether it is dropping us uh, a five-star review on uh, Apple Podcasts, or if you want to tweet at us at TJ Zuppi at Zach Meisel, if you've recently subscribed to The Athletic or the podcast, send us a note and we'll give you a shout out on a future podcast. I want to say thank you to everyone that has stuck by us here in the beginnings of the off season. And, you know, there's plenty of time still for us to recap our new Netflix shows and what we're eating, but you know, there is some stuff, some baseball stuff that is still worth talking about. In the second hour of this podcast, we will talk about making a murderer. I haven't even watched the first one. Ah, I watched the first episode. I watched the first episode of the first season my wife wasn't into it, oh my and God. I just never got back to it. Oh. I'm going to get Avery and Dassey out of jail if it's the last thing I ever do. I <laughs> uh, just – it was the same thing with House of Cards. I watched one episode. My wife wasn't into it. I enjoyed it, and then they took it off Netflix, and it was gone. <laughs> I'm like, well, how am I supposed to watch this now? It's gone. Well, it's back now, so I'm like halfway through season one trying to catch up, you know, to 2018, like everybody else. Good times. Uh, Yeah. That show was, it got weird. Oh, well try not to spoil it and let me know that, you know, Michael Scott's going to leave halfway through or something. Well, Kevin Spacey might cause (laughs) I mean, what? (laughs) I'm I'm shocked. Uh, Yeah. That might be why I couldn't find it for a while on Netflix. Touche. Any parting words? Uh, remember, five-star review gets you a beer on me. Christmas sale season. Let's go. All right. And uh, again, let us know if you've recently subscribed over to The Athletic uh, or to the podcast. And if you're new, just uh, drop us a line anywhere, and we will give you a shout-out in a future episode. Until then, we'll see if we make it through and either of us get traded for future picks or considerations. We're out of here. See ya. See <laughs> ya.